Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. And this show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by providing pet trust solutions and pet trustee services. You can learn more about Animal Care Trust USA at actforpets.org. And today it is my pleasure to be able to introduce to you Carrie Noterman. And Carrie brings to the show today a long, long, long history of loving birds. She is the owner and the manager at Wingspan Parrot Sanctuary. And she is also the owner of Natural Inspirations Parrot Cages. And we are going to talk about all things birds today. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to meet with you. How would you like to earn real money for your organization every time you order pet food? Our friends at Dubert are at it again, revolutionizing new ways to help animal rescuers. With their new Dubert Forward program, you or your supporters can shop for the same pet foods that you order on other sites, and Dubert will pay 5% of the purchase directly back to your organization. That's more than 100 times what Amazon Smile pays, and there's no limit or crazy hoops to jump through. Just have your favorite animal organization sign up for free at Dubert.com, and they'll automatically show up for you to select them when you shop. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Well, I noted from your biography, and you can share with the listeners as much or as little as you want, but you have been in love with birds your whole life. Yeah, nine years old is when I found my first bird, and it was love at first sight, and I've had them literally every second since. So, um, and I don't see that changing, which I'm I'm really happy about. That's a good love story, um, because when we fall for an animal or a pet and it becomes our life's passion, it leads us in a lot of interesting directions. And why don't you tell us some of the interesting journeys you've taken because of your love of parrots? Sure, I'd love to. Um, so throughout aviculture, I meet lots of different people. And I think one of the things that I'm so grateful for and that I'm so fortunate to have been a part of my life is I've been able to experience and be a part of almost all aspects of aviculture. So um, I worked at SeaWorld, so I got the training part of that and the show part of that and what that all entails. And I, I volunteered at uh, Parrot Jungle and Gardens. So I got to see the zoo side, you know, the attraction side, the exhibit side, what that looks like, how that goes. Um, then I moved on into things like the National Aviary, where I got to 
be parrots with a different perspective. Because so often, people kind of lump birds with the domesticated pets. You know, they put them in that category. That's a lot of what we see. It's a lot of what we hear. I have a dog, I have a cat, I have a bird, right? So, so that's a lot of what we tend to think of. But when you see parrots in an environment like the National Aviary, you are duly reminded that these are not domesticated animals, that these are, in fact, genetically 100% similar to their wild counterparts. And we are still living with birds that actually flew the skies above the jungles and were imported as wild caughts. And that really spins you a little bit. Um, so you start to look at them differently. You start to understand their behaviors from a different angle, and you really start to understand what it takes to accommodate them because they are not domesticated. And that as parrot owners, if we can keep that in the forefront, I think we can do a lot better job at the environment that we offer them and at meeting their needs. Because it's a very different needs list when you're talking about accommodating a wild animal in your house versus accommodating a domestic animal that's been bred for thousands and thousands of generations to be companions for people. Um, and, and we get a lot of issues with that. You know, people who have owned dogs and cats their entire lives who are animal lovers and they're kind and they're intelligent people. And they're just really fantastic individuals. They get a bird and all of a sudden they struggle in a way that they never have before. Um, so I think that separation was just incredibly important because having them in our homes does not make them domestic. It only makes them tame. Tame as in the tiger you see in the circus, you know, that eats his trainer tame. They are actually wild animals. Um, so having that perspective is powerful. So we always like to throw that in there. I've done a lot of in-situ work. So I've actually gone to other countries and helped raise and release uh, parrots back into the wild. I've seen a lot of parrots in the wild, which again, gives you a dramatic perspective shift. And that's been really helpful. So when I look at these animals in captivity and I look at them in the wild, I see the same behaviors, but the outcome is different because of their environment. So a jungle is a much different place to scream to your mate as your living room, right? So one, one behavior is amazing because you hear this beautiful parrot just echoing across the jungle. And then the other one is one that is, you know, screaming over your Game of Thrones episode and people are all angry. So... <laughs> It really kind of puts what they're doing into perspective and what we really need to think about before we bring these animals into our homes as what we're going to be able to deal with with them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a different thing. <laughs> well, especially so, when you're keeping an animal in a cage that was destined or programmed by the universe to fly free. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a little off topic, but I find this immensely interesting. And I just, I feel so compelled to share it with you. 
So recently, one of the parrot owners that I know, unfortunately, he was sentenced to house arrest for um, six months. And I had the opportunity to speak with him just the other day. And the things he was, he was saying, it was so powerful to me. And, and it just rang so true because in my head, you know, I thought, what are you complaining about? You're at home with your wife in your cushy house with your cable TV. You can sit and have your coffee on the back porch. You know, what is your deal? Like, why are you being so miserable about this? This is it's not like you're in an eight by eight cell with, you know, another guy sleeping on a cot. And the way he so emphatically expressed what it's like to not have the choice of freedom, it just, it, it really spoke to me because so often we think that if we just give them a quote unquote big cage, they'll be fine. But we're missing a very important aspect of wild animals, and that is freedom of choice. And when we take that from them, it's significant. And we need to recognize that. We need to understand that. Um, and we need to add that onto the list of things that these animals need is, is an autonomy, an ability to choose. And that is one of the things that we really focus on here at Wingspan. Um, and we encourage other people to do as well because we dictate their entire lives when they can come out, what they eat, when they eat, when they go to bed, when they shower. We, we literally just spray them with water, whether they are feeling it or not. Um, so we take away all of their ability to make these autonomous choices. And we've been shown that parrots will actually work. They will demonstrate behaviors for us when the reinforcer or the reward for the behavior is the ability to choose, that's how powerful that is. Um, and I just, I think that's, that's just so important for us to remember. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. Um, because we do start thinking about our pets in a different way and we might forget what their natural uh, freedom of choice might lead them to choose. And, um, and then we're choosing for them, obviously. Yes, 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 yes. So, so all good things to remember. Yeah. So you just bring such a wealth of experience and share with our listeners who might not be bird people, um, the idea that not all parrots are created equally. Yes. So in terms of keeping parrots, there are very, there's, a, there's hundreds of species, right? And some species are just simply better suited than others. And we can see this in zoo animals too. Some zoo animals do fantastically well in captivity, right? And some of them, the more intelligent species, um, the species that need things that are difficult for us to provide in captivity, like elephants, right? They do poorly, you know, we see repetitive behaviors with them. Um, we see self-destructive behaviors. We see pacing. We see all that, all that sort of um, non-natural, really sad behaviors. And we see that in parrots too. So parrots will 
engage in any number one of feather destructive behaviors. They pull their feathers out, they can barber them, and they can even go far as far as to self-mutilate. So they'll actually um, rip bloody holes in their in their own bodies, which is traumatic and it's it's heartbreaking. So if you're thinking about adding a parrot to your household, um, couple words of warning. It's a very different experience from a domestic animal, right? And their needs list is going to look a lot different. And I think that um, this actually will will pair very nicely with what you do, Peggy, as far as estate planning for them. Because what is commonly out there as a parrot's needs list is a really, really misrepresentation of what they actually deserve. And I think that goes for people looking for estate planning as well as current bird owners and new bird owners, right? So we typically get this list or we get this phone call from someone who says, hey, you know, we have a bird. What's their needs? Food, water, cage, toys, vet bill, right? Because that is a very common list for a dog or cat, right? Food, water, you know, accommodation, vet care, all that sort of thing. Um, Toys. But there's so much more. And because there is so much more, people who get parrots oftentimes end up rehoming them, right? So about five to 10 years uh, is, is a lot of times that we see this cycle. And this cycle is becoming really apparent, right? And it's becoming so apparent that wonderful organizations like Phoenix Landing, who you know, um, they have really made an effort to strike the the colloquial phrase, we, we're looking for a forever home, um, because it, it's really proving that that's, that's not so much a reality. And I think that we need to understand exactly what we're getting into before we do. So one of those is exercise, right? Sure. We take our dogs to parks and they just run. We take, we let them out in our backyards. They're fenced and they have a ball. We do, you know, we throw balls for them. We do all these things that encourage them to have this wonderful uh, release of energy and exercise. And with parrots, because they fly, we have some very reduced choices, right? So outdoor aviaries are one of them. Yep. Um, they tend to be very expensive. So to give you an idea, we have two outdoor aviaries here at Wingspan. Uh, one of them is 40 feet long by 20 feet deep. One of them is a 30 by 30, so that's 900 square feet. Those aviaries cost roughly $30,000 a piece mm-hmm. from first shovel of dirt to last shiny toy. If I put one of my flighted birds in there, um, Halo is, is one of my very rambunctious, wild-caught male um, ex-breeder Goffin's cockatoos. 
He traverses 40 feet in 2.3 seconds. I've timed him. 2.3 seconds. He can only fly for two and a half seconds. What kind of activity are we giving these animals? Right. And that is a 40-foot-long aviary, which probably is not on a lot of people's lists, right? Right. We have a hard time getting people to put birds outside at all because they're misrepresented as animals that stay in the house. But we know this to be a complete fallacy, right? Because birds are meant to fly in the sky. They're not meant to stay in the house. And we know for certain that they need the sunlight. They need the vitamin D in order to process the calcium in their bodies. So we're actually making them sick by not putting them outside and giving them the proper lighting. We see differences in their feather quality when they're outside, they're vibrant. We see differences in their personalities and we can give them back that choice. So the birds here, for example, oh, this, this is a good one. I'll give you this one. Something that these birds continue to teach me. So, the, the aviaries attach right to the house um, because this is a home environment. We are extremely protective of that. Wingspan is dedicated to making this sanctuary still a home. So one day, the, the birds have a lot of ability to communicate. So one day I had one of my rose-breasted cockatoos out his name's Riot because he just causes mayhem everywhere he goes. <laughs> and R Riot was pacing in front of the, the glass double doors, the aviary. He wants to go outside. He wants to go outside. He wants to go outside. And it was in the spring and one of those awful spring days where it was freezing cold and the wind was blowing and the rain was just that icy, ugh, you just want to curl up under a blanket rain. And he's pacing in front of the doors. And I'm going, Riot, you can't go out there. You just can't do it, buddy. It's cold. You're not going to like it. And after, you know, 10 minutes of him pitching a cockatoo fit, which if you've ever seen a cockatoo fit, it's fairly unpleasant. I said, fine. <laughs> Have it your way. I'll open that door. You'll spend two seconds out there in the freezing cold and then you're going to come in here and find something more productive to do instead of pacing in front of the doors. So I open the door. He flies out into the aviary, does three big laps around the aviary, and lands underneath the cover part, right? So three-quarters of the aviary is sheltered. It's roofed. So it protects them from the sun in the summertime. It provides them shade. It provides windbreak for them if it's storming uh, or just windy and they don't want to be in that and it also provides shelter from rain. And then there's a part of the aviary, about a third of the aviary, that's left open. So it's just wire. So if they wanted to, they can sit in the rain. They can sit in the sunshine. So when the sun comes up in the morning and you get that direct sunlight ray, they can go out there. And we have a Vasa parrot that actually bathes in the sunlight. He'll spread his wings out and just lay them out for the sunshine. So we love to provide those opportunities for them. So anyway, Riot, you know, looks at me and I'm like, come on, 
come back in the house. I know you're cold. And he takes one look at me, flies directly out into the part that isn't covered, and proceeds to take a shower, an exuberant, happy, absolutely self-chosen shower in the freezing cold rain on a 42-degree day. Incredible. And I just thought, I might not have given them that choice. Who am I to decide? You know? And that's the part we really need to think about is what are we deciding for them? So these are things that most pet parrots realistically have no access to. Very few pet owners consider outdoor enclosures a necessity or even a positive thing. It's currently looked at as some great luxury. Like, oh, I would like to have a yacht one day, but you know, it's that sort of thinking. Instead of looking at it like, would you have a dog and never let them go outside? Would you, okay, would you be okay with a zoo if they had a tiger and never let it out of an enclosed building? And I think when you start to process the environments that we're keeping these animals in, we're going to see that they need so much more to thrive. So if you're looking at parrot ownership and you're thinking in your head, oh, cage, food, water, then I can pet it and listen to it talk and do all those fun things. That is not the equation that you need to be looking at, which is why these animals are so often uh, rehomed because we really have, we haven't given them the credit for being these amazing, emotional, socially intelligent, complex animals. You know, we see this picture of a single bird in a cage so often that it's actually been normalized. Right. So a lot of the larger rescues and sanctuaries and, you know, heads of aviculture, we're trying very hard to change that. Right. And there's some work being done. Um, several years back, you probably know this because you're all up on the laws of animals. So uh, several years ago now, they passed a law that it is illegal to house um, the most intelligent creatures in zoos alone. So that list was like chimpanzees, uh, elephants. I think there were a couple other ones. So these animals that they considered extremely intelligent with a complex social structure, they determined that just like people, solitary confinement is emotionally destructive. Right. And it's inappropriate. Cruel and unusual. So they pass this law in zoos. Yeah. Yes. I mean, think about that. What do we do to our worst criminals? We make them sit by themselves. Yeah. That's the worst thing that mankind can think of to do to each other. Right. So when you look at parrots who live their entire lives in huge flocks, right, with bonds that can stretch decades and even a lifetime who raise their babies for so much longer than we give them a chance to in, in uh, captivity. 
And we take that complex, emotional, social animal, and we lock it in a tiny cage by itself. And then we wonder why they struggle. Right. So that brings us like full circle though. So for all the things that our birds need, um, there are birds that end up without a home. And, and I think that's where organizations like yours come into play, the wingspan parrot sanctuary. Yes. Um, yes and no. Okay. Do you struggle to find foster homes for your animals? Are you struggling to communicate with your fosters and keep track of what they need? Introducing Foster Space, powered by Dubert, where recruiting and communicating with your fosters just got a whole lot easier. Need a new foster for an animal? Simply create the foster request in Dubert and it will automatically send to existing Dubert tiers and also post on your Facebook pages and groups. Need to communicate with your fosters? No problem. Dubert makes it easy to communicate via text with individual fosters or to get messages out to your different groups of fosters. Your fosters can even put in help desk style tickets for questions or supplies they need, and the Dubert system will help you keep track and stay organized. Check out Foster Space by signing in on your Dubert account today at www.dubert.com. So, a tremendous amount of birds find themselves homeless. Um, it's, it's actually staggering. Uh, everything is full. I had a Moluccan cockatoo come to me, uh, ex-breeder bird, and I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, this was five years ago. And oh, I'll just, you know, I'll send her to one of the sanctuaries because she's a wild caught. She's not tame, you know, 10-year waiting lists to get in. And that's with monthly payments of support for the rest of their lives. Right. Every rescue is full. Every rescue has waiting lists. I mean, it's, it's a staggering issue. Um, the calls that we get are just constant. And of course we deal with the same thing that you guys deal with as far as we get hoarding cases and cruelty cases and things like that too. Um, so there are rescue organizations and there are um, sanctuaries that do take in just, you know, they work on that issue of all these homeless parrots. We do something a little bit different. Um, and I'll tell you why. So I have worked in rescue, goodness, 15 years now, maybe longer. I'm getting old. <laughs> I might have to start adding zeros to those numbers. Um, it's been a long time. And I've gotten a front row seat to seeing the cycle that has now become a really common occurrence, which is what Phoenix Landing is referring to, right? Or they're really right. fighting this idea of forever homes, yeah. um, that these birds are losing their homes over and over and over and over and over again. That they're not sticking. They don't um, come from a loving owner that passed away and then we adopt them into a new home and they spend another 30 years there with that family, you know, until they eventually pass. We're seeing perfectly healthy animals, um, many without severe issues. 
uh, nice birds that have just simply outworn their welcome Mm -hmm. because of their natural behaviors. So let me ask you this real quick, though. Can birds ever be hmm. returned to the wild? Yes, there are reintroduction programs. Unfortunately, none of those include the unwanted ones in our country. So in situ programs where they re-release animals back into their natural habitats are all bred um, in the country. And then they do soft releases with babies that are raised on natural foods, hearing natural sounds. And most importantly, I believe they're allowed to grow up with other birds of their their species, which we don't do. Right. Mm -hmm. So we, um, I know the listeners didn't get to enjoy uh, your wonderful story before we went live about the horses. Um, but it's the same thing. When you remove parents from the scene, when you remove other birds from the scene and you raise them in isolation, they lose part of what their social structure looks like, right? Just like if you had a kid that was raised alone on an island and you pick him up and then pitch him into kindergarten, you wonder why he's not sitting in circle time. Right. You know, they don't have that capacity Um, to integrate. They don't have the body language. They don't know these things. So taking unwanted parrots here, um, adding to that the risk of disease, and basically them not even, most of them don't even know how to fly because we clip them before they fledge. Uh, So it's, we have a whole string of issues going on. (laughs) It opened a lot of other doors, didn't it? Yeah, and that was the simplified answer. Right, You have to open a bottle of wine if you wanted to dive into that one. Hey, I bet some of our listeners would be up for that. So uh, (laughs) how do birds end up in your sanctuary? How do they find their way there? Sure. So I originally started out with um, a macaw, well, a cockatiel originally, and then I got a macaw when I was younger. And I worked at one of the first rescues in Ohio. It's called North Coast Bird Adoption. And this is way back in the day. And I fell in love with a bird padlocked in a cage. He was introduced to me. She goes, this is the devil bird. Don't let him out. And I was like, yeah. So, of course, I found the key one day. And I thought, I'm going to let him out. Um, So he was a wild caught breeder. He wasn't tame. And he was super aggressive and he would attack other birds uh, and he would hurt people and all these sorts of things. So I adopted him. Um, And then I started finding that the birds like him were having the same issues as him. So we kind of have a pie that's cut in half in this country. And that is there are breeders and there are pet owners, right? To be a pet, For a pet owner, you need to be tame. You need to be relatively nice. (laughs) Um, They want pet quality animals. Having birds that are completely wild, fearful, scared, unhandleable, um, nervous, that's no fun for a pet owner. That's not what they sign up for. Right. The breeders are looking for birds that can breed, that can make more. So there's a phenomenon in aviculture where male cockatoos and a variety of other species as well, um, but male cockatoos oftentimes attack and kill the females in captivity. Um, The aggression spans through 
many other species, but cockatoos are particularly notorious for it. A lot of the breeder birds are actually wild cots. So we have these birds that are wild, literally wild animals, just as if you would go out into the ocean and pull a killer whale out and put it in your swimming pool. Right. That's what happened to these birds. They were taken out of the skies and put into, you know, they were imported through quarantine stations and then put into these breeding situations, right? Right. Um, So we have these wild caught birds that are just completely wild and they're terrified of people, clearly, because what have we done to them, you know? Um, And if they become aggressive to their mates and they've killed multiple birds, the breeders don't want them. Right. Well, they're not pets. They can't go to the breeders. Where do they go? So I just could, because I had him, I started getting these calls for that kind of animal. Um, and I, I was like, yes, sure. You know, I, I think they're great. I love parrots in the wild. Um, so we started, I started getting a few of those. And currently there's 10 residents now at, at Wingspan, 10 permanent residents here. So over the years, I have 10 male cockatoos. Um, several of them are wild caught. Most of them are ex-breeders. And they're, they're all tame now. And they're all great. Um, and they thrive here, which just, it warms my heart. But what I saw was that the birds that were getting rehomed in the organizations that we worked with and birds that I rehomed personally. Um, Again, stressing that these people are not monsters because we think of people that, you know, dump their birds as having two heads and horns. And it's just not the case. These are people that I love and adore as friends, but just could not sustain the, the commitment and the needs of parrots long term. Right. So all of the uh, birds that we adopted out, they they started coming back, right? And then we'd adopt them on again, and they'd come back, and we'd adopt them out again. And the process is heartbreaking. Um, seeing where a lot of these birds end up, because not all of them come back. You know, they'll move and rehome them themselves. Uh, I found birds that people had rehomed, 10 years before, and we actually pulled their birds out of basements where they were getting hit and burned with cigarettes. Oh, great. And this is a bird that I know, you know, so watching what happens in aviculture and the risk of these animals, because they can be very, very bad. Um, They bite really hard. They scream extremely loud. They can chew all the things in your house, particularly the things that you like. They seem to have a sixth sense on what's expensive, and it just attracts them like magnets. Um, So we get all of those behaviors in the house. They're messy, right? They throw their food everywhere. So we get those behaviors, and people just, it's, it's difficult for them to live with that over the long term. There's a bunch of things you have to give up in your household. And then those are just the basics. Again, we're back to that list. Right. We're just at food, water, and a few toys in their cage, right? These people are not doing the outdoor aviaries. They're not allowing the flight. They're not focusing on freedom of choice and autonomy 
they're not offering them situations where they can flock with others of their own kind and have that mental stimulation. So we tend to see that. So with wingspan, I wanted to really, really focus on that enrichment part. Because my favorite thing to do in this world is to spoil birds. I want to see them thrive. I don't want 200 that I spend one second with a day. Right. I want 20 that I can know on such a level that I can offer them enrichment that genuinely creates joy with them. And with birds, as all the bird owners out there know, that's a very specific thing. What one bird owner likes or what, what one bird likes will be very different from what another bird likes. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to create here, which was partially inspired by you, by your talk about succession of birds. And I started really thinking about what I was going to do with my personal birds, should anything happen to me. And I found there were basically two options. One was to send them to a sanctuary where there tends to be a lot of birds um, in one situation, right? So they'd be in a, a, an outdoor flight. Or to put them into a pet home, which often consists of that, of that smaller list. Yeah. And I was looking at their quality of life here, seeing that we've given them the best of both worlds. So we have some of the largest aviaries in the country, even among the big uh, sanctuaries. But we really maintain that home environment. These animals are not you know, around people nine to five and when five o'clock happens, you know, they, the outbuilding gets shut down and everybody goes home. Right. These are birds that remain in our lives. They get that human interaction. They get the extra special things. They get the enrichment. They get all of those things that may not come to mind so quickly, but that make the difference of quality in their lives. And that's what I wanted to focus on. I wanted to be that person that made sure that your baby gets taken care of. Excellent. For the people who genuinely are invested in their long-term care. Because I want someone like me to take care of my guys. Absolutely. You know, because they, they enjoy all of it. I think I, I want, want you to take care of all of it. In my old age. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'll tell you, it's funny, my blue and gold, and you won't, you won't appreciate this unless you're a bird owner, but they can, they can speak, right? They can speak in yes. English. Yeah. So for whatever reason, she loves the Lion King. And so she would ask to watch the Lion King every morning. And it makes me crazy because there's only so many times you can watch Mufasa get trampled before it starts to affect your mental health. Right. So we actually installed her own television in her enclosure area so she can watch The Lion King every day. Good for her. I'm sure she loves that. 
So tell us oh, how, how do we help you? How can we donate to Wingspan Parrot Sanctuary? Okay, so there's a couple ways. Um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, so you can donate. Um, you can also do a couple things. If you'd like to have your bird come here, um, obviously they can go through you to have that written up, or they can contact us directly and um, we can work that out that way. But here's another really interesting way. Um, if you wanted to send a large donation, you can actually buy a parrot spot because we get asked all the time to take in birds. The problem is to provide the quality and the kind of care that we're talking about. It's not only an investment resource-wise um, as far as space and money, but it's time. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's making sure that that quality of life is absolutely superb. So we can't say yes to many birds if they don't come with support. Right. We have a list a mile long <laughs> of people who would love their bird to come here, but don't have the resources to make that a reality. Um, one of which that, that comes to mind last year, we did one of the most horrific cruelty cases, um, with the local, uh, animal partners around here. And when I went in that trailer, it is the stuff that nightmares are made of everything that you're thinking right now. It's true. They had blankets nailed over the windows so it was completely dark to keep them quiet. They were locked in cages that were rusted shut from decades of not being opened. They're just awful, right? The floor of the trailer was falling out because the feces had eaten through the oh, structure oh, of the yeah. building. Awful. Yeah, in fact, um, Pearl Parrots was was who I went with to assist them to get these birds out because I'm good at grabbing the bitey part, right? Because I do that a lot with my wild caught boys. Um, so I'm, I'm used to what that looks like. So they often call and they're like, hey, <laughs> this one looks a little wild. Why don't you come down here? So I went down there and we pulled these birds out of there. And I, I believe the dodo actually did a story with Pearl on those birds. Oh, wow. uh, about the journey because it was so, you know, just traumatic. Um, two of those birds are wild-caught male breeder birds. And they're sort of exactly what I was talking to you about before. Right. They went into foster homes in the rescue organization. And they have a fantastic foster. But here's the tough part. There's a misconception that if you love them, they will become tame. And that is not the whole puzzle. Right. There has to be an element of training. Just like you're not going to love a wild Mustang into being a stadium jumper, right? right. Nope. You can love them with all your heart, but that's not going to happen. There has to be a training element um, to that. And uh, unfortunately, most people don't, makes it a priority and they don't invest in it. So when we ask our parrot owners, how many of you have had professional training? 
you know, which is available widely, right? There's lots of different programs. There's lots of professional behaviors that run programs that do training sessions that offer all of these types of things for these owners. Um, and very few people ever have, even the new owners who don't really know what it's like to, to own a parrot. Um, they don't participate in that. So as normalized as expecting training for your horses or as normalized as sending your dog to a trainer or taking them to pet smart puppy classes is birds being wild animals who desperately need this understanding of behavior. It's not something that we associate with them. Right. Um, so these birds are, have been in this foster home for gosh, 14 months now. They're still wild as snakes. They're still tremendously scared and they have received exactly zero applications. Right. <laughs> because you know their feather condition is poor um like those are birds that they asked us to take so if somebody would like to sponsor them to buy their space here they can absolutely do that if they're looking for somewhere to donate to we would love to do that and we have a couple others um and they can pick off the list they can um you know find one themselves but there are a tremendous amount of people that would love a sponsorship to come to Wingspan. So if that's something they're interested in doing, um, absolutely reach out and we can talk about what that looks like. That's incredible. Well, and I know we can find you on Facebook as well as yeah. at your website, wingspanparrotsanctuary.com. And um, yes. also lots of good information at Natural Inspirations Parrot Cages. For folks that are interested in learning more. I know I can tell from talking to you, um, Carrie, that this is a conversation that we could have on and on um, because there's so much to learn and so much to know. And I am just amazed and appreciative of all of the information you have and can share and the value that you bring to the bird world. I thank you so very much. It's my genuine pleasure. And I appreciate you having me on the show and giving me your ear for an hour. I can tell that you love birds more than anything. And I, that makes me so happy. I do. Um, I do. Cause as I, I introduce myself to you as a person who knows nothing about birds and I learn more every day and I'm so appreciative of the education as I'm sure so many pet parents are. And um, it's because of folks like you that um, take the time and the energy and the commitment and the love um, that we have organizations like Wingspan Parrot Sanctuary. So I really, really appreciate you. And I would yeah. say to our listeners, until there are none, please adopt one. Um, adopt, don't shop, especially during this time of year. And if you want more information about planning for your pets, go to actforpets.org. And until next time, happy tales. Thanks again, Thank Carrie. you, everybody. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet.
We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!